I'm Olympic and world champion diver, Laura Wilkinson, and this is the Pursuit of Gold podcast. Each week, we are unlocking the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual tools that help athletes reach their biggest goals in sports. This week's guest is a true gem, and she has an awesome Aussie accent to match. I was super excited to talk all about the athletic world of nutrition with her, but that ended up just being the tip of the iceberg. Susie Parker-Simmons is a sports dietitian and physiologist for the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee, also called the USOPC. Her experience crosses two countries and seven summer and winter Olympic and Paralympic Games. Now, this episode is jam-packed with tips, tools, and super valuable information from injury recovery to extending athletic careers and pretty much everything in between. Now, if you haven't already, please go ahead and subscribe to this show because the next episode you don't want to miss because it might be the one that impacts you the most. And please rate and review us because it means a lot to me to know that we are impacting athletes and coaches around the world and helping you guys out. But it also allows us to continue to bring on amazing guests that are bringing valuable tools to the table for you. I believe that there is gold in your future. So let's dive on into this episode and let's get you there. Susie Parker Simmons, welcome to the Pursuit of Gold podcast. I'm so excited that you're here sharing your just precious time with us here today. Well, thank you for having me. Okay. I would love for you to tell us a little bit about your background because you have worked in Australia and America. You've been to like seven Olympic Games. I know winter and summer and a Paralympic Games. So you have a wealth of knowledge and experience. And I would love for you to tell us kind of how you got started in this world of nutrition, marrying sports. Well, thank you. Um, I started off as a sort of professional level junior in tennis. And so when I finished high school, I was like, I've got to have a career in sport. And I was still sort of going with tennis, but of course my parents were wanting me to have an education career as well. And as a consequence, I studied sports science because the field of sports dietetics was only just getting up and going. So I really didn't know anything about it and absolutely loved my sports science degree. And halfway through it, I got introduced to nutrition and I, food was food for me in the past. And I was like, wow, what a great, exciting way of linking in my two loves, um, food and <laughs> as well as uh, sport. And so as a consequence, I all my sort of postgraduate work from then on was in dietetics and sports dietetics specifically. You know, people often ask me, how did an Australian really get involved with winter sports, like there's <laughs> any winter there, right? That's a good question. Yeah. yeah. And so I was, I came over to America to do um, some PhD study and I was here and I was like, oh, I have got to see ski jumping. I've never seen a ski jumping hill in my life coming from the Southern hemisphere. Mm-hmm. And long and short, I started speaking to people before I know it, I had a um, a position at the U.S. Ski and Snowboard Association. Oh, wow. And uh, was there for a number of years. And then the United States Olympic Committee at that time started a dietetics department for the first time. And so moved over to work with them. And now I'm a high performance director as well as a dietitian in the winter sports. So wonderful career. I've enjoyed every minute of it and really enjoyed being introduced to winter sports. Well, I love it. And I love that you're just wanting to see it kind of got you involved in it. Did they did they make you like 
initiate by jumping, like doing a ski jump or anything like that? <laughs> I know. I, know. I, I knew I'd have to start at five, right? <laughs> Probably to do that one. But I did help them out. It was a miserable winter day in Steamboat Springs and everything, all the promotion banners were all falling down. And so I just stepped in and helped out and they thanked me and asked what I was doing here. And yeah. You never know where life takes you. I know. I love that. I think that's so cool to find out how people, yeah, wind up where they are. Well, I mean, kind of fast forwarding to right now, and I know it's been a little bit of a crazy year. 2020 has not gone how anybody expected. And I know with the whole COVID shutdown and everything, um, at least, you know, with the other athletes I'm around, we're all like, it's hard when you're at home and everybody's eating everything because it's just there in your house and you're there all the time and you're not working out the same. Like, has have you been like extra busy right now just trying to help athletes kind of stay on track? Absolutely. Because, you know, the season came to abrupt halt very, it? Abrupt, very, yeah. very quickly. And off season started very quickly um, on it. And always with uncertainty, with change, you know, food is one of those things that's a little bit of a comfort area. Mm-hmm. So definitely a lot of people with um, have reached out on how do I sort of cope with this situation, especially initially when you were a stay-at-home order and had to um, do the off-season very quickly and then trying to do some prep phase from home. Mm-hmm. Um, but the I always try and look for a silver lining, and the silver lining on the nutrition side has been that everyone's been home cooking. So a lot of people True. have been asking me for recipes, uh-huh. and I've got various athletes. I have a greenhouse at home because I love growing food nice. and making bread and, and doing all of the foodie part of it. And so I've had a lot of athletes reach out and go, okay, I'm ready. How do I grow? So they're all starting food? their yeah. gardens yeah. now, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And I feel like the other benefit, whoever's the group of the family members of that have benefited the most from this COVID-19 is, is the pets. Because we're home all the time. That's true. uh, Yeah, the animals are lapping it up and probably don't want it to finish. That's true. And we just, my family just got a puppy because now suddenly we're home all the time and we have time to train and where we thought we were going to be gone all summer. So yeah, we kind of joined the the puppy getting uh, group. (laughs) So yeah, we got a COVID puppy. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) That is great. Love it. Well, I first found you in a really cool video. It was a series called Changing the Games. Women in STEM at the 2020 Tokyo Olympics and Paralympics. And you were discussing monitoring an athlete's growth to avoid injury. And you were talking about working with doctors to estimate peak growth and extending their careers. Like, I would just love for you to kind of walk us through this topic. I think this is really cool. I was a gymnast growing up. I didn't start diving until I was older, about 15, and went through 30 and and retired for a decade, had some kids. And now I'm actually back diving again. But but this whole topic to me is really interesting because I I did it for a lot longer than some people, but it wasn't necessarily a nutrition thing. I think I just was lucky and didn't get injured. But um, yeah, I would love to kind of hear all your thoughts on this. Look, this topic, I became passionate with this topic when I was working with Austra- in Australia with gymnastics. And one time the head gym- gymnastics coach was just highly frustrated. And I was like, what's going on? What's the matter? And she goes, I've been watching these kids for the last four years and I'm down to 50% of them being eligible for the games because they're all injured. Mm. And so as a consequence, I sort of promised to her that I would look into this and try and prevent it happening for future games. And so I set up a, a research team of specialists And so we tested every gymnast that was eligible for the games from 11 years old to 15 or 16 actually was their oldest. And we brought in a group of specialists 
to do a whole lot of testing on them. And what we learned from that was that during the peak growth phase, and if you can determine that, you need to modify the load through the body because that's the at-risk time for injury. And so, what do you mean by load? Do you mean like the amount yeah, of physical right. activity or the, the Im- like physical impact the, or which part of that? Physical impact is. So if I look at gymnastics right now, so what we did was during that six months of when they were going through this peak growth, if we look at some of the, the modalities, I suppose, if we looked on the floor, we worked on the dance routine. We did quality jumps, not quantity jumps. Mm. When we were doing, we're on the beam, we did all the dismounts went into a foam pit. Mm. When we um, were doing on, when we were on the uneven bars, we just didn't work that much on the dismount on it. But when we did, we made sure we had a lot of mats underneath to absorb the force. Because while you're growing physically, there are so many parts of the body that are changing, but unfortunately, they don't change all at the same time. Right. And that's the area that you're likely to um, get injured. Well, also, so, so how do you, sorry to just kind of like pick at that a little bit before we move mm-hmm. on. How do you not just determine the peak growth, but but find when they're growing? Because, you know, I feel like kids all di- grow at different times and, and have spurts and things like that. Yeah. So um, one of the sports that I do this now with in the winter sports is figure skating. So we test all the athletes that are at elite children junior level that are tracking very much to be elite senior figure skater is I do a range of anthropometric sort of measurements. So what we're looking at is skeletal changes, measurements every six months. And then when I feel like that the body, we're getting close to that peak growth um, phase, then we test every three months. And at the same time I'm doing that, their pediatrician or sports medicine doctor will look at the maturation process and then we'll marry and chart all of those results together. Wow. Because the the nice part about it for us to try and be as accurate as we can is um, growth happens, right, on a natural progressive order. And so we know what's when you've got one phase of growth, so say if you look at the the size of the feet are getting longer, mm-hmm. accelerated quickly, then you know that the, the next stage is going to be happening after that. And also growth is sensitive to genetics. Mm-hmm. So you speak to a lot of the family, you know, about the family history of, of, the, of growth in their immediate families. And so we have found by doing that, my hardest part is when we feel like they're in peak growth, I've got to then get the coaches to modify training. And that's sort of the scary part, right? Yeah, For I them. imagine that would be hard. <laughs> mm-hmm. Very hard. And so they've got to have faith in us over that time. Because over the years, I've just seen so many injuries with um, kids. And they're not injuries where you just have a month off. It's injuries where they have six to 12 months off. Right. And really, that's the end of those careers mm-hmm. for the sports that you really reach the peak at a young age. Well, in a sport like gymnastics, too, where it seems to, in a way, at least stunt some growth, too, like, is that something that's prevented when you're doing it this way? Mm-hmm. Or is that, you know, I guess, is that an aspect of something happening at, at the peak growth? 
Yeah, look, that's a really good, um, a really important question. So we uh, looked at, um, there's been some research and anytime we have identical twins, <laughs> we'll Ooh. try and measure them as well. But that I'll give you an cool. example. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you get one, we had uh, a classic uh, one I can give as an example. We had one um, set of twins, one girl finished her career as a gymnast at 12 years of age. So she naturally went through a growth and development sort of period over around 13 years of age. And it took, you know, approximately six months to two years, you know, for that sort of component to happen. And her twin sister, identical twin sister, didn't retire from gymnastics till she was 17. So before she actually retired, she looked fairly prepubertal still. which of course has a lot of advantages, right, in a sport like gymnastics. And when she retired, she went through this accelerated growth and development phase. Like within six months, she'd achieved what other girls would do in two years or more. Wow, at the age of 17. Yeah, at the age of 17. Wow. You know, she started to get a, you know, a chest, she's got a menstrual cycle, like it all, all those things naturally happened. Mm -hmm. But the one thing that is that was happened that she she was two centimeters about one inch shorter than her identical twin who went through growth and development at 13 years of age so uh, quite a lot of the research shows that we can keep you healthy you'll be just a very accelerated growth but you may not be as tall as you would be predicted to be how this is really this is really interesting. So, okay, so you're estimating the pink growth. You're you're working on like maybe lightening the load, focusing on quality, like you said, and not quantity, softer landings, things like that. What nutritionally then plays in to help at that age or at that stage? Yeah. I guess I should say. And that is great. I'd love to talk nutrition and then talk about the other areas of of growth as well, which because we always just think of physical growth, mm-hmm. right? Right you know, at that time. So nutrition plays a large role in that. And often where we have problems is if you're in a sport where prepubertal body frame is advantageous, like it's easier, you know, to do the activities and the movements, they often restrict, right? Because they get scared that they may not be able to be an elite athlete anymore because they're moving into a young female body. Right. But the nutritional requirements are quite significant while a kid is growing. So if you look at during sort of that adolescent time, the energy intake, they have a 20% increase in energy requirements during peak growth. Calcium and vitamin D has an increased need of 50% because of the increase in bone mass. And then iron, just as another example of another nutrient, you know, we have a large increase in red cell mass that happens in both males and females. And so you get a 15% increased need because of your increased red cell mass. And I could go on with other nutrients as well, but those three sort of often will give you, um, you know, just make you sort of respect, I suppose, what the body needs at that time. Well, it's really interesting. I have four kids, so, and they're, they're four to nine years old. And We've noticed that they'll start getting in these patterns of craving meat at certain times or fruit at certain times. And that's like all they want for like this period of a month or two, you know, and they go through and they've all done it like at different times. And I, I wonder if it's like that your body is craving certain vitamins, certain nutrients. And so that's where you go, I'm guessing. 
Absolutely. If you listen to your body, your body will tell you, right, what it needs. Mm -hmm. And and probably while your kids are growing, because, you know, I always felt like when my kids were young, it was every six months they yeah. started to have a little growth phase. Or every time they I buy a new pair of shoes, they grow right out of them. <laughs> yeah, that's right. A new clothes. You know? yeah. um, but they often would be tired. They'd sleep more, yep. you know, during that time as well. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. So you talked about the other parts of growth. Like what are the other areas yeah. of growth? And uh, this is another really important area. And it's not as much, of course, as a dietitian's area of expertise, but I think it's really um, crucial to also be aware of. And that's the cognitive, like the brain development, and then also the emotional development. Mm. So if we look at the cognitive development, you've got a developing brain, which brings in new cognitive skills that really enhances their ability to reason and think abstractively, right? Mm -hmm. And probably that this is the time when um, they're trying to sort of develop for them to take on more responsibility of what their training may look like or when they need a break. You know, they need to be respected um, on it. They're planning for the future, they're developing decision-making skills. And when they're young, especially at elite level, the coach dominates everything and the parent. Mm-hmm. You know, this is when you train, this is what you do, this is when you eat, this is when you're to school and everything like that. And then sort of during that time, you've got to incorporate them in some of this decision-making about their career mm-hmm. as, a, as a young sportsman or, or woman because otherwise fighting starts to occur between the right. parent and the and the athlete between the, the athlete and everyone, right? <laughs> and everyone, right? And then you add on the emotional part mm-hmm. because of the hormonal changes, right? Mm-hmm. But they start separating themselves from the parent and the coach to really establish their own identity, mm-hmm. and peer approval becomes even more important. So, in the area of nutrition, the areas that I have to watch is that the older kids um, have good healthy attitudes to food and good healthy eating practices because if we've got any form of eating disorder with the older group the younger ones will admire and follow and not listen to what the parent or the coach says and can happen in other sports too often we'll find in males it might be more supplement abuse or it's the time that they pick up nutrition myths than you know, following their normal practice of what you should do as a as a, a young athlete. So I think it's important not to n- neglect the emotional and the cognitive sort of development mm-hmm. that happens with these kids as well, because they may stop the sport. Right. 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 You know, during that time. And that's sometimes even more problematic if you're quitting because of those reasons, and then you kind of go in this downward spiral in your life outside of sport because you no longer have anything to cling to. Correct. Absolutely. Oh, man, that's so tough. So if we were talking to maybe like a high school athlete right now, what is some kind of general advice you could give them, you know, nutritionally? Like, I guess maybe what are maybe some of your top tips that somebody going through probably a lot of these changes right now? And I know it's kind of general because we're all in different sports, but if there's maybe one or two basic things people can focus on. Yeah. So I'll do a couple of things. This is with any female, young female athlete. It's important for them to start looking at what do I need? What's important to me? Because I've had some athletes in the past that that are in that sort of year eight to 10 sort of time age group. And 
some of the girls might start dieting, right? Because they don't like the change in their body or they're, you know, that's the trendy thing to do. Mm. And the people that do it really well and very successful, the athletes, mm-hmm. right? Everyone else drops off the diet after day three or day seven. <laughs> the athletes can keep doing it for months very because they're very disciplined and <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. competitive, right? Uh-huh. So I always have to, you know, remind them that it's important to look at who you are, what your dreams are, everything you tell to your kids, I'm sure, you know, and you will continue as they get older, that it's um, important to not just do what everyone else is doing, but to really look at what you need to do to fulfill your dreams and to be independent and self-confident in that way. So if you're a cross-country skier, you're going to be eating a lot more than your friends who who don't do any exercise and mm. that's okay. And that's what it's supposed to be Yeah. Um, as well. And then is it all right if I give you another example? Yes, please. As many as yeah. you want to give, that would be great. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. I'll take um, it all. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're, um, for those athletes that are going to go through growth and development and they're in a aesthetic based sport or weight class sport. So I'm going to give example of figure skating because I do this all the time. We know growth and development is going to happen and we try and educate the kids, remind the parents and the coaches, what are the next stage of growth and development is likely to happen? But then I say to them, often going through growth and development doesn't naturally happen at the best time. And if you're a figure skater and you're going through growth and development, it's a year before the Olympics. Yeah, the, the judges, the officials may go, wait a minute, what's this? You know? This, this athlete was tiny and now she seems big, right, mm-hmm. as often they use. And so I just sort of tell them that you know it's going to happen, so let's be proactive. Let's start changing your music to being from a kid's music to a young woman's music. Let's start looking at the design of your clothes to not sort of like kids' clothes mm-hmm. that are out there skating but young women's clothes. Let's look at your hair. Let's introduce makeup. Let's design your program of a young woman versus a young kid who could do a whole lot of fun sort of jumps mm-hmm. and spins. Because I really, I want to prevent the loss of athletes from sport and also the loss of the love and the passion for their sport. This can be a really tough time as they're going through that emotional growth and suddenly getting a group of judges and they may be the best in the nation suddenly criticizing them, right? Because they've gone through what naturally happens. So let's be proactive. We know it's going to happen. And let's let the officials gradually get to know the new you. And that's hopefully um, we can keep them in the sport and also maintain their self-esteem during this time. I think that's brilliant. That's absolutely brilliant. And I like thinking back, it's really funny with all this time on my hands. I've looked up some old videos I had and I found some old gymnastics videos I had. And I remember being so mad that I had this music that seemed really babyish to me when I was like, you know, 11 or 12, something like that. And I, I was really mad and I wanted to step up to that next level of like, not not the next level so much in gymnastics, but of my maturity and, and that kind of, and I remember longing for that, like wanting to, to not be this little girl, but I wanted to be the cool, bigger kid, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, that, yeah, that's really, that was a really good point. Yes. And, and the big thing also, it's important that we don't delay growth, right? Too long. It will naturally probably happen 
just because the energy requirements of growth and being an athlete is really high and very difficult to get in while you're at school as well as training. We also try and keep an eye on that just to make sure that we don't delay it too long um, where it may have a negative effect you know, on their health and well-being or just even their self-esteem. We have one girl at the moment who's an elite athlete at a young age and all her, all her friends are going through growth and development. She looks prepubertal. She's like, what's wrong with me? You know, I look strange compared to everyone else, you know, mm-hmm. on it. So we just got to make sure that we look after their life outside of their sport as well as their life in sport. I love that we're we're talking about nutrition, but you're bringing in the whole athlete to this. I think that's so important. We forget that we, we're just trying to sometimes do the things that like we're told to do, like we're talked about, we're just trying to, you know, do all the black and white, what's in the book, but you forget like there's this whole gray area of you and how, how you think and how you feel that, that needs to be taken care of. Because if that's not okay, nothing else is going to matter. It doesn't matter how good you eat or how great you're taking care of your body. If you're an emotional wreck or, you know, if you have no confidence, mm-hmm. like you're just going to fall apart anyway. So this is... This is great. Do you have any more along these lines? Yeah. So another thing that's really important to me as a dietitian is that the athletes have good lifelong attitude and education on nutrition. So what I mean by that is, as I said, I've had a greenhouse. So if I have any winter sport athlete in Colorado Springs at the training center that is injured and has to be at the training center for a long period of time and they're there in the spring, you know, they're the ones who are going to grow my seeds and <laughs> look after them every day and plant them in the greenhouse. And oh, when they come back, I sort of bring the zucchinis and the tomatoes and all of those sort of things that they've sort of got up and going on it. And it's also I try and use that time for um, just educational nutrition because life is longer than your than your career as an athlete. But it's really important to make sure you get through growth and development and have a very healthy and um, attitude and a lifelong positive attitude towards food. Well, what would you suggest for younger athletes? Because I, I mean, when I was growing up, my parents really didn't know much about nutrition and I didn't even really think about it, honestly, until I was probably in college. What would you suggest for people that, you know, maybe don't have access to an amazing Susie Parker Simmons? Like, where can they go to make sure they're getting good information? Because there is so much information out there that's probably not the best for certain athletes. So where would you send them to try to find good resources like that? Yeah, it's a really good question because, as you know, every week there's some new trend, isn't it, or myth yeah. on it. Right. And <laughs> you know, it's sort of that thing um, on it. And so for me, it's I try and really get them to go to those resources that are very um, based on sports dietetics. And so what I mean by that is major countries of the world, the, the USOPC has a website, um, Australia has a good website, England has a good website. And so you really want to turn to uh, very good professional groups for your information. And they also have a variety of cooking recipes and all of those things, which I encourage athletes to also do and practice at home. Because one thing that I often find, and this is often with the young male athletes, is because they're trying to balance um, school and their sport, they often lose that opportunity to have life skills. Mm-hmm. because they never have time, right? Right. 
you know, on it. And so whenever I have an opportunity, I try and get, especially the, the males who may not have as much interest in that area, and that's just a generalization, of course, but I get them to, you know, to start preparing and cooking and, and doing all of those things because it's a good skill for them to have. So you're right, it's important not to rely on Snapchat or Instagram, you know, or what works with one athlete mightn't work for you, all of those sort of things. It's really important to make sure there's good resources out there and there's various books or um, podcasts or journals, et cetera, that depending on the age of the individual, um, that is beneficial for them. Yeah, I think it's important to to note too. Yeah, each different sport and different type of athlete, like you were talking about earlier, requires different things. Like endurance athletes require very different things from power athletes. You know, so there's mm-hmm. there's that to consider too. Um, if you're a young athlete, like looking into this information, think about the kind of training and and working out that you do, and what kind of energy you're expending, because that's the kind of nutrition you want to take into. Yes, I was talking to a cross country skier today, and you know, in the preparation phase, their volume of training is just huge. And they have the highest caloric and carbohydrate requirements than any sport. And if you're five foot six, and you've got to get the minimum as as a young female, 4,000 calories in, work, right? That's a full-time job on it. And so she was like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize how hard this was to get everything that I need in and to get the right ratio, you know, of the nutrients too. Well, that's, so, I, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm a diver. So I'm, I'm yeah. more like the gymnast, like for that quick twitch, you know, a flip for a second and then you wait like 30 minutes for your next turn. Um, but we, uh, in college, you're paired with the swimming team. So we do everything with the swimming team and their endurance and they eat like nobody's business, probably like these cross country skiers. And so I remember we'd always be looking at them like, it's just not fair. They just eat all the time, whatever they want. And like, we have to be very particular, <laughs> you know, but it's just totally different requirements, you know. Absolutely. I remember a funny story on, um, I was cooking for the ski jumping team at the Salt Lake Games because we sort of got everyone in sort of condos. And the the team leader of that time for that group was the sports psychologist. So I um, was preparing, now ski jumping is even probably less calories than a diver, right? It's, you know, they have to fly in the air. Right. So they don't want to have too much muscle mass on and they're very fast twitch one quick movement, um, you know, with it as they come off the knoll of the hill. And so I was preparing this, you know, food for them. And then I suddenly realized the sports psychologist had stopped coming home for dinner. And I was like, oh, what's going on here? And he goes, I am starving, absolutely starving. I went to McDonald's last night. Sorry, Susie. (laughs) So I had to hide sort of food under his pillow at night because for him to cope living with the ski jumping team, he was like, I gotta work with snowboard next time. Ski <laughs> jumping is not in my not in my area of interest. Oh, that's so funny. I love it. Well, what okay, so I have a question about like nutritional supplements because that's also another thing that's very it's not regulated, it's everywhere. There's good ones and bad ones and whatnot. And I used to be scared to take them because you know, you saw the the anti-doping agencies and stuff are always like, take it at your own risk. So I was scared of everything. What what are your thoughts on nutritional supplementation and is it how necessary is it with a proper diet? Because I keep hearing some people say, oh, if you eat a great diet, you don't need it. But then other people are saying, well, our food today has all these deficiencies, so you do. So what are you where where do you stand on all of that? So I suppose I divide supplements into three groups. 
So I have dietary supplements, which could be like a multivitamin, a mineral or an iron supplement. I have sports supplements, which are things like the sports drinks, the recovery drinks, the gels, goos, you know, those sort of mm-hmm. things. And then you have ergogenic aids, which are trying to improve work capability. Oh, okay. So it depends on the sport and it depends on the age as well and genetics a little bit. Mm-hmm. So we will do blood testing. I love blood testing. I know the athletes don't like it, but I love getting <laughs> the results, right? Well, if you're not the one getting poked, <laughs> I could think you would like it a lot more. <laughs> yeah, not true. It's great, right? When you're not the one getting poked, but you get the results. Right. Because it gives me a window of the health of the athlete. So the doctors will look at the results and I'll look at the nutritional components. So I can generally try and sort of prevent, right, certain nutritional deficiencies that may occur because of the amount of exercise or the type of exercise you've got to do in your sport. Mm-hmm. So with diving is a classic one because you can't really consume extra calories, right? You've got to kind of keep keep your macronutrients, your caloric intake and everything, and all your food really has to be what we call nutrient-dense, but not necessarily energy-dense. Mm-hmm. So what I mean by nutrient-dense, it's got to be rich in vitamins and minerals. So it's maybe harder, as I say, a female, to keep your iron status up, you know, if you're going to be something like a diver, a gymnast, or a figure skater. Mm -hmm. So you may need to go on a dietary supplement of iron to make sure that you keep your iron within normal range. So partly because you're not consuming a large amount of calories, but also you have a 30% increase in needs because you're an athlete. Mm -hmm. So sometimes that has to happen. Now, if you're a cross-country skier where you're eating 4,000 calories, you generally can't tick all those boxes with all those nutrients pretty easily. There's no room. There's no room yeah. left. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, you know, I don't often have to put them on dietary supplements, you know, as much because I don't, they usually get enough calcium, they get enough iron, you know, they're getting enough vitamin C and zinc and, you know, everything like that. So, so it depends a little bit on the sport. And it depends if you're going through growth and development, because remember, I was talking about increased needs during that time. So that's sort of dietary supplements. And then the sporting supplements is something that a lot of sports need, because you may be um, have a high fluid loss. So you might be on electrolytes to try and make sure that you can keep hydrated during your training in summer. Or you could be um, like a cross-country skier where you've got huge um, carbohydrate losses during training and you're likely to hit the wall during every training session because we can only store a certain amount of carbohydrates in the body. Mm -hmm. So you'll need to have something like a sports drink that gives you fuel, electrolytes and fluid to make sure that you get the most out of your training session. And then there's, of course, there's sort of recovery foods as well. So many sports need sort of the sports supplements. And then the ergogenic aids, I mean, I only look at these under a couple of situations. One is if it's an adult, so I don't do that with kids. And so examples of this are like creatine or beta alanine or caffeine, you know, things that you're trying to improve work capacity. Gotcha. So I only do it when I've got an adult, but also they've got the diet. You know, they've got a good athletic diet and we're just trying to put the icing on the cake to try and make sure that we do get success because if you do the supplements and you don't do the diet, you're not going to have, it's not, it's like my blue jelly bean. You know, you want something, right? That's easy and quick to do. That's going to be successful. It doesn't 
work like that. It's a waste of money. So I only really use it when I'm working with those elite adult athletes that I trust their diet is optimal and we're trying to just go that extra step. That's a great breakdown. Appreciate that. Do you think the nutritional content of food has changed over the last 20 years? Because I know, I feel like there's all these cycles where we go through where, you know, they're trying to put sugar into everything, but then there's this move back to like raw food or more natural stuff. Like what, I I guess, what do you kind of think how food has evolved and, and where we should kind of sit with that? Yeah, look, I often recommend to people just to go back to the basics. Mm -hmm. right? I mean, every week we get a thousand new foods go on the market and they're not natural foods. They're foods that are artificially put together. And so they definitely play a role, definitely at times, but I often recommend people to just go back to the basics, you know, go back and get the grains, right? You can use quinoa or rice or bread or pasta, whatever you want, but you don't need to buy the the new product on the market that might be a risotto mix with mushrooms and, you know, and everything else sort of on it, right? Um, With it, you know, with meats, go back to the basics of quality meats, dairy products, the same. And so I really recommend everyone just to really go back and to foods that they can recognize and really are the raw products and make sure you get a good variety because every food of these natural products or normal natural products give you different nutrients. And so it's important not to have the same breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day is to make sure you vary it. Oh, see that that's a hard one for me. I'm such a creature of habit. I totally get into eating the same things all the time. So, uh, all right, I've got some work to do after this. (laughs) (laughs) No problems. I usually get everyone to help you, Laura, is write down all the proteins, you know, that you like and write down all the grains or carbohydrate rich ones because you might put sweet potato and potatoes in that you know as well so your carbohydrate ones and then all all the different vegetables that you like raw or cooked and then all the condiments that you like and then start designing five to seven different meals from those I like that. That's a great idea. It's so it seems so simple. (laughs) But I I know it it. does, doesn't it? (laughs) But it's great. I like that. I'm just taking notes here. That's awesome. I'm going to probably do that as soon as we're done here. Well, what? okay. So if with athletes, you know, where you're looking at peak growth, you're looking at all these things to try to prevent injury, but injuries sometimes happen whether you're doing everything right or not. Sometimes it just happens. What kind of advice do you give like nutritionally um, for athletes who are like trying to heal and recover from an injury? Is there anything different they should do during that time? Yes, the dietary... Practices should change at that time. So when you're injured, and it depends on the type of injuries, right, from a concussion to a bone injury mm-hmm. or even an illness um, that might take a while to get over, your protein requirements increase because your body's trying to heal and might be other micronutrients as well, such as it could be you know, the calcium and vitamin D and K if you've got bone development happening. It could be some of the... Um, omega-3 fatty acids and the fish oils, et cetera, you know, with other types of inflammatory responses. Uh, But your carbohydrate requirements usually decrease because the amount of exercise you're doing is much lower. That makes sense. So remember, carbohydrates is your fuel, you know, to do it. And so I usually just say to every athlete, every time you get injured and depending how long you're going to be out for, reach out to me because you actually need a different dietary practice 
than um, when you were in full training. And the ones to watch are the ones where they do have to watch their caloric requirements because they're an aesthetic sport or a weight class sport. And they often get very scared when they get injured and stop eating and energy restrict. And I've definitely seen a strong correlation with low calories and low protein during that time with a deep increased time for recovery. So I had um, one aesthetic sport where I had two athletes had to go through surgery at the end of the season, very similar surgery. Now I know everyone's slightly different and I gave them their requirements of what they needed to get in. One did it beautifully, right? Followed everything, the plan and, and what was needed and hit the mark and was ahead of time on the recovery. The other one got really scared and was doing it about 75% of what I was wanting them to do, and especially in the protein area and the calcium area and the vitamin D, et cetera. It really wasn't until they saw the other athlete. They were about six weeks behind, oh, right? Wow. Their recovery process of where they were. And they suddenly saw the other athlete and went, oh my gosh, they're going to be back competing before me, that they actually turned it around and then were able to move it you know, forward at a quicker rate. So definitely nutrition plays a huge role in in recovery for sure. Oh, how eye-opening. That's really that's really interesting. Well, I mean, you kind of play on that because I know a lot of times injuries or things like that, or anytime an athlete especially can feel kind of out of control, a lot of times they mm-hmm. go to that restricting of food because it's the one thing they feel like they can control and eating disorders begin to develop. That's big in my sport, the sports that I've been in. Um, what? How would you kind of, if you were talking to, maybe a high school or college age athlete right now that's listening to us, how would you kind of coach them on getting through that and kind of getting back to where they need to be? Yeah, I try. And this is easier said than done, of course, right? Of course. I try and improve the enjoyment on food. And I can explain that in a moment. I I usually put athletes through a, um, a foodie journey. You know, we go on a journey on food and explore, you know, good quality foods and different types and look at what a lactose type of milks out there and let's try them and let's try like growing foods, you know, in pot plants and start your tomatoes up and going or your herbs. And so we might try and make homemade bread instead of buying it. So I sort of take them on a foodie journey that we usually never have time for, but I also try and take the emotion out of food. Mm-hmm. How so do you I do give that? Them some, yeah. yeah, I give them some reading. They always have homework, which I don't usually like that word. So I have to come up with a better term. But, <laughs> um, but it's it's reading, right, for them to get some understanding on what's happening in their body right now and what do they need to sort of do. So it could be from fact sheets to if I've got athletes who are really scientifically interested in, in the human body, it might be more on that sort of high-end book chapters or journals. Mm-hmm. And I try and take advantage of that time and really try and take the emotion out of it and see food as its role, which is I know it can be a social role as well, but it's more on what does your body need right now? So let's make sure we do that on a scientific basis more than based on an emotional basis. Oh, that's perfect. That's so good. Thank you. Well, what do you think? Because I know like thoughts and science changes and the way people see nutrition has changed. It's like, I think the food pyramids like flipped over or something. So (laughs) what are some of the big breakthroughs that you've seen in nutrition in the last like 10 or 20 years as it relates to like athletic performance, you know, or what, what, what we maybe we didn't know then that we know now, or what do you think is going to change next? 
Well, it goes around in circles on that and probably it's a little bit more of a boring, I wish I could come up with, you know, the wonderful new sort of developments. The ones that help us a lot is some of the the apps, you know, for athletes, because that's a great education tool for them to get to know more about food and what nutrients, because I'm very much a nutrient-based educator mm-hmm. um, on it. So I will give them some things to work on and all kids are on their phones right now. So they don't mind doing the apps and it could be a hydration app and see how much they're drinking, you know, et cetera, on different topics along that way. Um, so apps have been something that definitely helped. And then, you know, it's we've just got more knowledge on the human body. I feel like, like the human body doesn't really change, but we're pushing the body over time with sport. And so you need to look at like transporters and what transporters can you are available in your body that you can take advantage of that and the timing of some of those intakes. So for example, if you look at, I know this is an opposite opposite support to diving, but if you're looking at some of the really high level endurance um, recreational activities that are out there Mm. where people are doing Ironmans and I know that could be a professional sport as well, or they may be doing ultra marathons, mm-hmm. et cetera. All those we crazy people. Yeah, you guys yeah, are crazy you know out I mean? there that are doing that. It's impressive, <laughs> but you're crazy. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. So, you know, in the past, we always thought you could only really process 30 to 60 grams of carbohydrates, right, per hour. So it wasn't worth taking in more. And then we suddenly realized with more research that if you have a sports drink that has different carbohydrate molecules in it, so if you have, say, three, each of them have different transporters. And so you can actually take in 90 grams per hour. And we thought it was only 30 to 60 at 60 was absolute max. So with more research, we get to know more about the human body. And as we push our human body with all the incredible sports out there and our athletes, you know, as you know, the amount of training that goes to be an elite athlete, it's a lot more, you know, it's more full-time athletes out there than we've ever had. Mm-hmm. Um, we've, we needed that research really to be able to look at what can we do with our human body and to make sure that we optimize it, but also prevent it from being getting sick or injured. Mm, that's so cool. Well, how do you prepare athletes who are maybe at the you know, twilight of their career and they're (laughs) going to enter this normal life thing, whatever that is, I guess I don't really know yet. Um, And, you know, after I like guess ease into their, you know, retirement nutritionally, because obviously you're not working out as much or you're working out differently and your body's going to adjust to not, you know, training eight hours a day or whatnot. Mm -hmm. What's the best advice you could give for kind of easing into that portion of your life? Often I will work on like hormone levels of the athlete, if it's male or female, you know, with it, because hormones may change as you, especially as we move into more veteran type based athletes on it. And so every sort of part of your life cycle, like, especially we've got athletes and Laura, you've gone through this yourself. You've gone through pregnancy, you've gone through lactation, you know, oh yeah, and recovery from having a kid and slipped us nights and all of those sort of things and nutrition changes because you'd can't sit down long enough to get each meal before right. you have to get up for another kid. Exactly. All of those life changes to hormonal changes as, as some of the athletes go towards menopause or early, you know, menopause problems. So I often, especially the female athletes, will work a lot, you know, based on their sort of hormonal and, and life situation um, with it. 
And then with males, it's also important because they actually can't see their hormones. Mm -hmm. So it's important to keep an eye on that and get some of the testing done to make sure that you preserve muscle mass, um, you don't necessarily, you know, maybe need as many calories now because your body's not growing, you mm -hmm. know, as such. So, yeah, we work together on hormones and just requirements of that part of your life cycle. Oh, that's so great. Well, I was going to ask you before we wrap up, you kind of mentioned that you like to give people like apps to, you know, like like you mentioned the hydration app. Like, are there a, kind of a maybe two or three apps you would recommend um, that if somebody's listening and they're like, hey, I'd like to start, you know, getting better at this stuff too. Where, where's a good place to start? Yeah. So um, it's important that, um, and hopefully for parents listening, you know, as well, is the apps are great when you want to be more scientifically based on what you do. If you've got an emotional component with food, you could get a little, you know, pedantic you know, on what you're eating and, and it might be more detrimental, you know, sort of. Fair on point. It. So yeah. just putting a sort of that safe spot sort of out there. I'd always prefer if there was a dietitian involved, you know, to help them in that, you mm -hmm. know, that part of it. But a classic one is that's quite good out there um, that I think is a good introductory one is my fitness pal. Oh yeah. I've used that one. Um as well. So that's one that you could could use too. And I often recommend all the young females too to have the apps for their tracking of their menstrual cycle. Because as soon as a menstrual cycle changes, it could be showing some sort of bodies under some form of stress, right? Mm -hmm. You know, with it. So that's another good one for the young females to also get to know, you know, and learn more about their body as well. Those are great. Well, thank you so much. Um, Susie, you are just a gem and a wealth and volume of just information on this topic and how we can all become better. So thank you just so much for sharing your time and your expertise with, expertise with us today. Well, thanks for having me, Lauren. Good luck with your training as well. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in today. And please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our show. This allows us to keep bringing on amazing guests, and it also helps other athletes to find this show. Make sure to check out the show notes to follow us on social media and learn more about our awesome guest. To hear all of our amazing episodes, head on over to thepursuitofgold.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Pursuit of Gold is proud to be a Podigy production. That's all for now. Make sure to tune back in next week.